Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo. And with me today, I have Bill English. He is a seminary-trained psychologist in Minnesota and a person that's been starting and growing businesses over the last 30 years. Of course, he's a believer, a strong believer, and he's written a book that we want to talk about today. The title of the book is A Christian Theology of Business Ownership, an introduction for Christian entrepreneurs on what the Bible says about owning a business. Bill, why don't you say hello? Hey, thank you for having me on today, Leo. I appreciate it. It is a pleasure. Well, Bill sent me a copy of his book recently, and I just got done reading it about two or three weeks ago. And I was really excited about getting him on this podcast and talking about this book. I found it to be a, an enlightening and very, very deep theological book on business. But he's going to dive into some more of that and tell you more about what this book is about, why he wrote it, uh, so I'm excited that you're here, Bill. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Why don't we just start with a bit of your background? Why don't you share about who you are, your family, whatever you want to share, and let's start there. Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Indiana uh, and uh, went to Indiana Wesleyan University, got a bachelor's in business and political science, took a year off, worked at a bank, and then really felt called to ministry. So I went on to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School earned a Master of Divinity and a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology, ended up here in Minnesota where I was able to become a psychologist and did marriage and family therapy for nine years. Obviously, because I'm an entrepreneur, I ran my own therapy practice and had employees and all that. After that, my wife was pregnant with our first child near the end of that nine years, and, and I wasn't going to be able to support our family that way. So I spent the next uh, 15 years in the technical space uh, hmm. and mainly in first exchange and in SharePoint, Microsoft SharePoint. And it was in that uh, time period, it was about 12 years there where I was writing books. And that's where I learned how to write. Mm. And uh, I wrote a lot of books for Microsoft Press, wrote for Osborne McGraw-Hill, Addison Wesley, and some other publishers as well. Then I really felt uh, that I needed to get uh, out of the technical space. And so I went into business consulting. Uh, at the time that I was in the technical space, I owned my own training company, and that was where I really cut my teeth on learning how to really run a business. We went from zero dollars in me in a basement to nine million with 65 employees and contractors. And then 2008 hit, and inside of six months, I went from 65 people to 18. We went from nine million to under four million, and uh, I learned a lot about right-sizing a business. Mm. Um, we almost went out of business several times. I've, I've been throughout my life close to bankruptcy, close to half a dozen times. Wow. That's, that's what an entrepreneur's life is, right? Yeah. Uh, there have been times when I was swimming in so much cash, I really didn't know how to spend it all. And there have been other times where I didn't know how I was going to pay for the next meal for my family. So I've been at both ends of the spectrum there. But during that time, uh, God really spoke to me about what my role was as a steward of a business as opposed to an owner, and what mm -hmm. I was really responsible for in terms of my stewardship relationship with him. 
And I, so I started going out on the marketplace, Leo, and I started looking at, I, I need somebody to tell me what my role is before the Lord as a business owner. And I couldn't find anything. But one of my lifelong friends is Scott Preisler, and you probably know him. He and yeah. I went to uh, Heritage Christian School together in Indianapolis from pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. We were in the same class for 13 years. And I called Scott. He didn't have anything, right? And I looked hither and yon and finally realized that the, the content that I needed was not out there, or at least hmm. it was not out there in the way that I needed it. And that was really what propelled me when I took a long look at my life and I said, man, God's had me do therapy. He, I'm seminary trained, so I understand theology. I understand the Greek and the Hebrew. And he's given me the opportunity to write all these books uh, in, in the technical space. Let's combine those skills and let me write what's in my heart about stewardship, specifically about ownership, business ownership. And so I wrote a book. It took me a little over five years to write this book, A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. This is not a book, Leo, about Christian biblical principles hmm. for business. That's not what this is. This isn't a faith and workbook. This is for business owners, by a business owner, about our role. How do we integrate our faith and our role as an owner? And it's, it's a niche audience, but it's not a niche audience, right? Uh, based on the Census Bureau, I estimate that there's, and I cover this in the introduction in my book, there's probably between four and six million Christian business owners in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I'm really not writing for a niche audience, but I'm writing for an audience that doesn't have any common demographics, an audience that is oftentimes highly isolated, and an audience that a portion of whom are very serious about this topic, and they don't have the content that they need. And so that's why I wrote the book. It's mm, good. Have you, as you were going through the process of managing running businesses, all the ups and downs as an entrepreneur, did you struggle with that role yourself of what it meant to be both? Because you were a seminary trained, so you understood the theology side of how to serve God. You understood the difference between uh, faith and works and Yet you're in the marketplace, you're, you're trying to live out your life as a Christian, as a believer with the gifts and talents and opportunity that God has given you. It seems to me anyway, that you are at a place where you're trying to figure out how to do this thing. And like you said, you really didn't find content out there that would help you to walk that out. So is that was the result of the book is that you were managing this, trying to figure out what that balance was. And that's why you wrote the book. And then as you were writing the book, what was your overall goal? What's the message of the book? It's a great question. I'll reframe the question just a little bit and say, I wrote the book because I was compelled to write it. Mm. I could not not write this book. Great. And I knew that this book would not sell well. And I was putting, I put in hundreds of hours into this thing. I don't care. I did what God called me to do. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, this is really in some ways my life purpose on paper. And writing the book clarified my role before the Lord as a steward and as an owner. Mm. Um, and so it changed me viscerally. Uh, for instance, the part in chapter one on covenants and perseverance and presence and connecting the unseen realm with our physical world, those whole sections in chapter one deeply changed how I view my role as an owner. 
uh, of a business. Uh, by, by the way, today I'm a minority, very small minority owner in a healthcare company. I have 650 people who report to me, but I'm still partially an owner, but I'm now also responsible to steward a business for a board of directors and a much larger ownership group. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was setting out to write, Leo, until I wrote it. Mm. So many times I would say, God, what else should I write here? And it, I might get the answer right away, or I might get an answer two or three weeks later. But I had to sit and listen to the voice of God to tell me uh, what I was going to, at least the, con- the the ideas that I needed to write about. Now, I'm not saying every word is inspired. This is not scripture. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what I was going to write until I was done with the book. Mm. Well, as I was reading the book, I definitely loved one aspect of the book, which is that None of what you said was just your thoughts or your ideas. You always supported everything with scripture, taking the word of God and making it clear of what God is actually saying through his word. So I do love the fact that you put so much, so much information in there from scripture to make the point of what the scripture is really saying on this topic. So tell me why a business owner should read your book. Do you think they should read your book and why should they read your book? Because I start with the Bible extrapolate principles, theology, and then apply it to a business ownership role. I don't start with American business principles or American conventional wisdom about running a business and then flavorize it with the Bible. Hmm. So for those Christian business owners who are serious about understanding Christian theology and applying it to their role as an owner, this book is for them. Hmm. And I, I don't mean to be rude with that and say that there's Christians who own businesses who aren't serious about that. But honestly, there probably are. There probably are some who see a pretty wide cleavage between their Christianity and their role as an owner. I am not one of those people. And so they should read it if they really want to understand their stewardship role before God, and if they want to please God, if they really want to be pleasing to him, and if they want the blessings that come with it. So to me, that would be the motivation to read the book. Um, you know, it's 350 pages, 650 footnotes. Yeah. In every instance you saw, or nearly every instance you saw that I started with the Bible and said, because of this theology, here's how it applies to our role as an owner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. All right. So what is the connection between what we do on this cert as business owner and what we'll be doing in heaven? This is something you touched on in the book that I think pertains to what we just talked about. The fact that business owners have a role there. It's not just this thing that they do on the side. It's actually who they are and who they're supposed to be as Christ followers. So what is the connection between what we do on this earth as business owners and what we'll do in heaven? Well, the scriptures make clear, although this is not a theology that is often taught in our evangelical churches or Christian churches, but the the Bible is clear in, in a number of points that we will reign with Christ in eternity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the destiny of the believer is not only in God's home, that's talked about in John 14, but it's also being part of God's divine counsel. I borrow that from Michael Heiser at the Naked Bible Podcast, and our future reign with Christ in eternity. And so our work here as stewarding a business and being faithful to God within a covenant relationship with him is preparatory for our reigning with him in uh, eternity. 
because mm -hmm. we will be stewarding and listening to his voice and working with him to accomplish his purposes in eternity. So what we do here on this earth is a preparation for what we're going to be doing in heaven. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I think this is definitely that test of will we and can we be prepared for what uh, awaits us? And I think it'll be a, uh, an, an amazing thing to be able to both be physically present with God and do things uh, just as we're doing today. So obviously yeah. there's a separation, but we'll be there with him. And uh, we, we, get to, we get to live that out today. And that leads me into one of the sections of the book, chapter seven, I believe, where you talk about hearing the voice of God. And I think that's such an important part of the book. Uh, and I'm so glad that you included that because, again, you did not write a book on the principles. Here's the rules and regulations of how to run a business, but it's how to live out this role as a business owner, entrepreneur. So obviously, you have to be able to connect with the owner of that business in order to know how to run that business and to fulfill that role that he's given you. So let's talk about that. In this chapter, you talked about the, the relationship between being a, a business owner, but also be able to hear God. So tell us about this, this section. Why was it so important to include being able to hear God and going through all the specifics about hearing God in this book? You know, uh, that was really the third part of a, a trilogy that was not well called out in the book uh, about how our physical world and our physical minds and bodies and everything are connected somehow to the spiritual. So I covered how the unseen world in one sense is connected uh, to the spiritual world in chapter one. Then in chapter six, I talked about uh, spiritual warfare and why spiritual warfare is so important, because as we, as we move out for Christ in our businesses, Satan's going to oppose us. We're yes. going to get opposition. And I have a truth-based model, not a power-based model for spiritual warfare. But now on a day-to-day -day basis, almost a moment-by-moment -moment basis, being able to hear the voice of God, mm. as we understand more fully the word of God, we can gain direction from God on how to handle ourselves. I'll give you an example. I have right now, I have a uh, key employee who is through a series of events has decided to leave our business. And uh, she has some grievances uh, with me that she has shared with others in the office, but has not come to talk to me. Mm. And I've heard about it backwards, right? So she's basically going behind my back. Mm -hmm. On the drive home here today, I said, uh, God, how do I handle this? What should I do? And he, he said, just send her a soft email and invite her to your office. If she wants to come, she'll come. So that's what I did. I heard the voice of God mm -hmm. and he helped me. He, he's leading me in how to handle that situation so that I bless her on the way out. I don't badger her on the way out and I don't diminish her personhood on the way out. I'm not mm -hmm. going to retaliate. In other words, I'm not right. going to try and get that, uh, you know, justice or vengeance or anything. So um, hearing the voice of God in, all, in so many of our decision making is so important. Now, there's a strain of people here who say, no, you only hear God through the Bible. But the Bible doesn't support that. It just mm -hmm. doesn't. And I go over this in chapter seven, clearly, because the whole chapter is about hearing the voice of God. And I go over all the verses that talk about hearing the voice of God and what they mean. And when we learn to hear the voice of God, and it is a learning process, Leo, mm -hmm. we are going to make mistakes. We are going to sometimes get confused. But as we mature in that, just like we mature in prayer, or we mature in other areas of our sanctification, God just comes to us and he literally in a John 15 sense, he comes to us and he makes his home with us. Hmm. And when he makes his home with us, we don't use a book to talk to each other. 
when we're sitting in the same home, we use words, we talk, we dialogue back and forth. And it's just so important for us to really steward God's business that he has entrusted to us the way he would have us to by understanding his heart and hearing his voice. Yeah, that's, that's great. That was one of my favorite parts of the book. I've been a Christian most of my life, grew up in a Christian home, gave my life to the Lord when I was 14. And that has been one of those things that I didn't learn that early on to yeah, hear the voice either. of God. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that you included that in a theology of business book, um, because again, without being able to hear the voice of God, how will you know uh, if you're doing God's will? It's not just a process of doing tasks that God is after. God is after a relationship and a relationship, as you just said, it's about sitting down and having a conversation. And that's what God desires to do. Uh, so I love that you included that in the book. Let's talk about the foundations of stewardship that you included. Uh, you had five foundations of stewardship that you talk about in the book. Uh, let's talk about a couple of them now. Yeah, probably the two most important is the first one is that God owns everything. This comes from uh, Psalm 50 verses 9 through 12. Right. I was scrolling as I was trying to come <laughs> up with that. I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pen, mm -hmm. uh, Psalm says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you what is God, why does God say this? Because the world is mine and all that is in it. Mm -hmm. um, so the first foundation of, of stewardship that we need to understand as owners is that God owns everything. We own nothing. We are only owners in the American legal sense, but in mm. the larger economy, which is more important, God's economy, we don't own a thing. Everything right. is entrusted to us. Our talents, our gifts. It is he who gives us the ability to create wealth, Deuteronomy 8. It is he who gives us these businesses, and he entrusts it to us to create wealth for his kingdom. Not so we can go live on some, in some fancy house on some wonderful lake, because that's what we would do here in Minnesota, <laughs> you know, with land of 10,000 lakes. Yep. Um, or maybe in Texas, where you're at, maybe they buy, you know, 2,000 acres and go a bunch of horses on a ranch. I don't know. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, God owns everything. And if he owns everything, then the second foundation is also true. Everything we have is an entrustment. Mm -hmm. uh, he has entrusted the gospel to us. He has entrusted talents and gifts to us. Uh, he has entrusted the businesses to us. He has entrusted to us the ideas uh, that many of us have come up with to start businesses and and create new widgets or offer new services or understand a new technology and offer a service around that. Um, yeah, we played a part in it, but God gave us all of that to begin with. And so God owns it. He entrusts it to us. And the only way, the third foundation is a real is a strong relationship with God. The only way we're going to really run our businesses the correct way is if we understand the heart of God intimately mm. so that we represent him well in the marketplace and we make decisions that are consistent with his character and consistent with the voice that we're hearing in our heads and in our spirits from him. So you asked for two, I gave you three. God owns everything. Everything that we have is an entrustment. And our relationship with God is a determining factor in our success of being stewards of what he's entrusted to us. That, that is one of the favorite parts of the book is, again, just building a right foundation. And uh, you covered that so well there. There are so many other things that you talk about in the book. Uh, one of them was uh, about partnerships. And this is something that 
so many people so easily get into. Uh, what should a business owner consider before entering into a partnership? Uh, what if someone is in a bad partnership? What should they do? Oh, get out while you can. Uh, <laughs> you know, I um, when I was doing marriage and family therapy, I used to have the six C's that led to great marriages and the six A's that led to divorce. Right? Okay. And so I bootlegged that. And I came up with the nine C's of partnership and the six A's that make partnership go bad. So mm -hmm. look, uh, partnerships, they are not covenant relationships. They are legal relationships. So they don't carry the same level of faithfulness in the spiritual sense that our covenant relationship with God does. And, and just a, a note to the listeners, if you don't understand covenants, and covenant relationships with God, or what, what that is, the rest of this book is not going to make sense to you, because it, I've just laced this thing over and over again about covenant theology. So um, just several things here. Uh, first of all, I do not land in the place that you can only partner with other Christians. I think Christians can be in partnership with non-Christians. Having said that, uh, boy, you really better have a good either buy-sell agreement or good partnership agreement that clearly defines how you get out of the partnership with as minimal damage as possible. So I'm a partner at a company called the Platinum Group in uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota. We do turnarounds, we do family succession plans, that kind of thing. There's nine partners in this, in this group, 20 consultants, nine partners. I'd say half of my partners are not Christians and the other half are. But we get along because we have a common set of values. And our partnership agreement has a very clear exit plan. A lot of people get into partnerships and they don't codify the partnership. They don't codify what happens in the partnership. Should someone die? Should someone get divorced? Uh, what if they become unproductive? If they do something nefarious or unethical or illegal? And they also don't codify how to get out of the partnership. Everybody gets into it thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to make a lot of money. We don't need a partnership agreement. Mm -hmm. wrong. You need a partnership agreement. So if you, you ask the question, what do I think people need? The first thing is a partnership agreement. And if you can't get an agreement, then walk away. The partnership is not worth it. That's good. Yeah. It's very wise. <laughs> That's wise counsel right there. And scripture, I mean, very clearly backs up. I do like the fact that you made a distinction between the covenant relationship and the partnership, that they're not one and the same. And, uh, I think sometimes Christianity brings it in, you know, using scripture like being unequally yoked is a favorite one where it says, you know, you shouldn't do this. But like you said, uh, you can as long as you understand what you're getting into, as long as there's an agreement. It's not a covenant you're entering into. You, It's a partnership. It's different. And uh, I love the fact that you went through that in the book and explained it and uh, gave some really, really good advice on how to structure that to make sure that you avoid some of those landmines. That unequally yoked passage, a lot of people think it applies to marriage, and it does, I think. Uh, but I think people have generalized it to include business relationships. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I grew up believing that, by the way. Yeah, I grew up that Christians should only be in business with Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, but after looking at this passage in depth when I was writing the book, I came to a different conclusion. Very good. Very good. So you also talk about trusted advisors. Who are they, and why does a business owner need them? Uh, wow. Uh, trusted advisors is something that I, I see most business owners not have. And they, it's to their detriment and their peril. Mm. 
uh, trusted advisors, your banker, your lawyer, your accountant, your financial planner, your HR, uh, uh, your HR professionals, your tax attorneys, uh, your compliance attorneys um, or compliance people, people who help you run your business, but they're not in your business and they help you work on your business. Mm-hmm. Those are the people you need to have a trusted advisor in each of those areas and perhaps others that as a group, they're the people that you go to for advice. Well, I go to my pastor because he's a godly man. I Fine, go to your pastor, but don't limit it to your pastor. Well, I go to my good friend. He's, he's a good friend in the same industry, and he and I talk a lot. Great. Go to your friend. Get all the advice you can, but don't jettison out uh, the, these other trusted advisors. I learned early on that a good lawyer will save you a ton of money and will help you do risk mitigation like you've never thought possible. And risk mitigation is a stewardship issue. You are stewarding a business for God. If you're not paying attention to risk, then you're not stewarding what God owns very well. And how do you, how do you mitigate risk? You don't you know, wet your finger and stick it up in the air and see which way the wind blowing. You have to, you have to get a lawyer, maybe an accountant, maybe some other professionals involved and do it. So that's just one example of why you need trusted advisors. I do know, Leo, you've probably met them too. A number of business owners who never let any one other person know everything that's going on in their business. They won't be honest with their bankers or they'll give really limited information to the bankers. And by the way, a banker is, your, is one of your trusted advisors. They're one of the first people you should be telling when your business isn't doing well. They're one of the first people you should tell. Because if you're not loyal to them during the good times, it's going to be hard for them to be loyal to you when the chips are down. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll tell the banker one story, their lawyer another story, their accountant a third story, so forth and so on. You know, to my way of thinking, that is just poor stewardship. And it's really a form of lying. It's a form of being deceitful. And God doesn't honor that. So um, go to your pastor, go to your friends, but develop your roster of trusted advisors. I talk about that in, uh, in my chapter on advise, advisors and uh, getting and receiving wisdom. So in the remaining time that we have, let's talk about the four purposes of business that you cover in your book. What are they? And then let's dive into some of those. Sure. Yeah. If you ask the question, why did God create business? I wonder what kind of answers you get within (laughs) your stewardship network, right? Just a one question survey. Why did God create business? I think he created it for these four purposes. Uh, Number one, he created it so that we produce products that enable the community to flourish. And by the way, the first two of these came from... Jeff Van Duzer's book, Why Business Matters to God. And I did interact with him as I was writing this chapter and he gave me permission to um, borrow his information there. And I did footnote that appropriately. And then the second purpose is uh, business exists to enable each individual to develop and express their God-given creativities and passions, right? So products, then people, then profits, business exists to create profits because without mm-hmm. profits, we can't do the fourth purpose, which is philanthropy. Business exists to, to um, give those in the community who don't have enough uh, that, that we give to them so that they can fully participate with dignity in mm-hmm. the life of the community. And if they go to our, you know, into church and within the life of the church. And it's really hard to measure these four. 
purposes. Are we producing products that enable the community to flourish? Well, you know, if, if we're producing substandard widgets that break the first time you use them or that have built-in obsolescence when that's not expected, then that's not a product that enables the community to flourish. If we're uh, paying people as little as we can and we're not investing in their professional development and that kind of thing, that, that's really not why God created business. If we're taking as much as we can out of the profits and, and we're just kind of draining the money, the cash out of the business, and the, and the business is injured because of that, and, but we don't care, that's not the kind of profit taking that God desires. And if we're not giving it away, and this is going to be really controversial, we should only save enough for future expenses. The rest of it we give away. Now, there's a, there's a catch here, Leo, right? And that catch is, well, I need to reinvest in my business. I need to, I want a new product line or I want a new service. Fine, go do that, right? But at the end of the day, if you're just amassing wealth out of your business and you're not, and, and you have way more than you need to meet future expenses, then for all practical purposes, you're hoarding and you need to be giving that away because wealth and is a renewable resource. God can enable us to create wealth at any time. Right. And it does violate the whole idea that it's not yours. You're just stewarding it. And if you're hoarding you it, then I, I could cite a couple of scriptures, certainly the one in Luke 16, where the master says, you know, what have you been doing? Because you've been unjust. <laughs> well, obviously he was doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing with the master's money. And I think that's the I think that's the challenge that we have in our culture today. Whether you're a business owner or even in, as a just a just a Christian trying to live as a as a faithful steward, is that it's so easy to say, "Well, I need more," because there's a security thing uh, that's kind of built into the language of our culture. You need to save. You need to have enough. You're going to run out of money. And uh, like you said, wealth is a renewable resource. God can give you ideas, create ideas, and give you the ability to carry that out and create wealth. That's what Deuteronomy is all about, is that God gives us the ability to create wealth. There's no lack in God's kingdom, whereas in the world's mindset, it is only so much and we have to protect it and hoard it. So I agree with you. I think it is controversial, but that's only because people haven't embraced the mindset that this is about stewardship and the, the, the principles that you talked about earlier, which is stewardship means that you embrace the fact that you own nothing, and that God owns everything and that you're the steward. So therefore you have responsibilities, not uh, things that you have to amass and keep for yourself. Yeah. You know, philanthropy is such an interesting thing because it's about the heart, Leo, right? It's not about how much you give. You know this. You, yeah. You've taught this millions of times, I'm sure. So um, the widow's might is such a good uh, example for us. She had nothing. She gave out of her poverty all that she had to God. Mm -hmm. And you know, borrow from five loaves and two fishes. God can take the two mites and multiply it into two billion if he wants to. Um, but you, you, you find somebody who is not a giver, and they'll never have enough money to give, even if they bring in a couple, three million a year in, in income. They'll just mm -hmm. never have enough to give. Right. So uh, giving is about what's in your heart, and philanthropy is about releasing your money to God. And so if you're trusting your 401k and your investments, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there right now uh, that are listening to this podcast and they've got net worth five, 10 North of $20 million. Right. I know that there are people out there. I, I know some of them. If you're trusting in your investments and all that for your financial security, then your trust is misplaced because that wealth can go away like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're trusting God, then you'll always have what you need because God's promised to meet our needs.
God has a far more secure financial plan, so to speak, for our future than any of our investments can be. I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. That's a stewardship issue. I'm not saying we shouldn't meet with Christian. Of course we should. But our hearts should place our trust in God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I like about the four purposes of business that you describe in this book that God has created is that to me, it looks like a perfect circle, right? God mm-hmm. gives us the ability to create products. And if we do a good job, if we're doing quality work, you know, not perfection, but high standard excellence as God would want us to do, that enables individuals to join and develop and express their God-given uh, creativity and passions, which is then profits, right? Be, profits are, are brought in and then profits make it available so that we can help those who are not yet in the circle, not yet able to contribute, to bring them into so that they can also contribute with their gifts and talents and time and sure. resources. And they can, again, benefit the community. That's what you're describing here. And I love, I don't know if you intentionally did that, but no, I didn't. This is the first I, time I've heard anybody describe it. I think it's a perfect circle because because it really does honestly generate this ability to bring everyone in. And, and, and what I love most about it is that philanthropy sometimes, especially in our culture, because we are so financially well, but yet so busy with our schedule and so want to protect that, that we are much more likely to write a check than to get involved. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's somewhat brought this mindset that the way we take care of the poor is we give them money. The problem with that is, and being in ministry and being at a on staff at a church and seeing people with needs coming and coming and continuing to come. And then even though we're paying their bills and we're paying for their electricity and water and whatever else they needed, they continue to come back because what we were doing is not taking care of the real problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we were taking care of we're we're band-aiding certain issues in their lives. And, and we were trying, it's not like we were not aware of this. Some people are willing, some people are not. I totally understand the challenge that comes with that. But I, what I love about the business environment and how entrepreneurship can, can serve the greater purpose uh, that God has given each individual Christian is that we can be a catalyst to bringing people with dignity into the marketplace, helping them to produce and to be productive and good stewards. And so it makes the whole community healthier. So I just love, I just saw the circle as you are, as I was reading this, and I thought that's that's exactly right. Well, thank you. Can I use that? Of course, because <laughs> I never it. thought of that, Leo. Yeah. I never thought of it as a circle. Yeah. And, and, but but you know, when you were talking there, what what occurred to me is that the church will develop pastors and missionaries and people to go into ministry, but the church never develops entrepreneurs mm. with a Christian stewardship mindset. And I'd love to see churches, and I cover some of this in my book. Um, I'd love to see churches take on the task of growing new entrepreneurs for the marketplace with a stewardship mindset. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think one of the, the least ministered uh, group in the church, unfortunately, is uh, business owners and, and successful entrepreneurs, because for whatever reason, I know the enemy tries to affect uh, that, you know, it's almost like priests and kings sort of where business owner may think, well, the, the pastor is spiritual. I'm just a business guy. I remember I had a gentleman right. who, a friend actually became a good friend, is still a friend to this day, that was a member at our church, large church. He came and one day I, I uh, was invited to a lunch with him and our senior executive pastor. And he, our senior executive pastor was a connector and he hadn't gone on a cruise with this guy. And the guy said, love Gateway, love everything about it. 
The problem is they can't use me. They can't use my talents. I'm a business guy. That's what I am. And I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theologian. I'm just a business guy. And I just, I want to, I want to help, but I don't know how to, how the church could use my gifts. And this guy, the senior executive pastor was so challenged by that. He said, there's got to be a place for this guy. So he connected him with the stewardship department, which is where I was working in. And uh, we started developing some business classes and some things that he was doing. We did a couple of seminars. And at the end of the day, what I learned from him was just as spiritual as he learned from me. Uh, there was no difference in how we were trying to serve God. We just had different gifts and different opportunities. And, and I just thought, you know, if it hadn't been for this perchance uh, connection that he had on vacation with one of our pastors, he might have thought, well, great, I'm a business guy, but I'm not spiritual in any way because I do business. And I just, that hurts my heart because I think God didn't gift these people with all this talent, with all these abilities, with all this wisdom in order to make it ineffective uh, for the kingdom. It is absolutely effective for the kingdom. And I remember the late Larry Burkett saying, you know, if you're not going to reach people in the marketplace, uh, then you're going to miss 90% of the people because only about 10% of them will actually come to your church. The rest of them yeah. will never come into your church. So if you're not equipping your business owners how to reach those people in the marketplace, you're missing out. You're missing yeah. out. Those are the pastors in the marketplace. And, and I agree with you. I think we don't do enough to equip business people and to encourage entrepreneurship. Um, that's, that's a shame to me because the Bible is so clear uh, that this is the way God works uh, in our culture and our communities. Well, while you were saying that, Leo, what came to my mind is that all ministry is funded ultimately by profitable businesses. Mm. And uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, churches really chafe under this notion that only 35 to 40% of their membership even gives anything. Mm -hmm. And probably of that group, it's a, it's a minority of that group that actually really supports the church. Right. Uh, so that not only is there a giving issue, but then we're not training people to go out and create wealth for the kingdom to begin with. There's nothing nefarious or unspiritual about that. If God gives us the ability to create wealth, then he expects us to go out and create wealth. And he's going to gift some people to be really good at it. Seems to me we ought to embrace that and hold that close within the church and see them as part of the team. Mm -hmm. rather than as, oh, these are the guys that go do kind of that greedy stuff Monday through Friday. And, you know, we'll, we'll let them be ushers and maybe be an elder or something like that. But, you know, what they do during the week, I'm not so sure about that. So we need to get past that, that dichotomy. I would love to um, figure out how to do entrepreneurship programs in the local church and then replicate that around the country. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be a stitch. And frankly, if we got that going, the church would have more money to do more ministry, more money, more ministry. It's really that simple. Yeah, yeah, oh, I totally agree with you. I think uh, I think it is a not a misunderstanding, uh, just a uh, an ignorance toward the fact that this is a very clear um, mandate. Uh, I believe that we're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right. Well, that's not just raising everybody to be a pastor or a missionary. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, gosh, we're talking about a large majority of people will never be either one of those two. And how does that fit into the kingdom of God? If that's the only two that can actually work in the kingdom of God, we've got something wrong. Like this whole thing is broken because 90% of people will never actually serve God. They'll be in the marketplace doing what you said is the evil money thing. 
And so I think it is a cultural uh, misunderstanding and maybe even a, a, I don't know, I don't know how we got here, but I'm right, right there with you. I think if we had very intentional ways of, of educating and, and helping people to understand God's purpose for them in the marketplace, I think we would, uh, we would have healthier communities, we'd have healthier economies, and it would all point to God because he's the source of it all. Well, and in a lot of what you're describing there, Leo, is really um, a result of bad theology. Mm-hmm. It really is. And that's why my book, I think, can be helpful to a number of people, because I think I've adequately laid out the theological basis for business ownership. And once you understand the theology, uh, once you really, uh, really understand it, you will never be the same owner again. Mm. I, I, in, in the introduction of the book, I said, if a person were to take this book, through the eight chapters and apply every part of it, they would go from being a carnal, cussed, ornery, uh, Sunday-only Christian to being a person who's on fire for Jesus Christ in the marketplace, but on fire for the right reasons and in the right way. Mm-hmm. And um, that's my challenge, My because cha- I'm on this journey, and my challenge is for you and everybody else who owns businesses to join me. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I so appreciate your time, Bill. Thank you for, for joining me for this uh, podcast. And I do highly recommend anyone that's listening uh, that they pick up this book, whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur or not. I think even if, especially if you're a pastor yes. and you're discipling yes. people, you need to read this book and understand uh, how important of a ministry. And I do say that specifically, how important of a ministry a business and entrepreneurship is. Uh, and that we as pastors have that opportunity to help people understand it, to understand the theology of it, and understand how people go walk in their destiny. Bill, any last words before we close today? Uh, just thank you for having me on. The book is available both electronically and in print at uh, electronically at 10 different uh, bookstores, including Amazon and Nook and others. B. Dalton Walden's, I guess. I wonder if Walden still exists. <laughs> uh, but, you know, thank you, Leo. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed making your acquaintance and uh, I look forward to doing more with Christian Stewardship Network and I uh, just really appreciate you having me on today. Well, I just want to thank you for taking the time, the hundreds of hours that it took not only to live this out, but to actually put it on paper. I think it's going to be a, a resource that for many, many years will bless the kingdom and, uh, and I'm grateful for you. I'm gl- grateful for your story and your experience and for being faithful to put it in a way that others can uh, have access to it. Uh, I do believe God that he spoke to you to do this. I I definitely benefited and I know I'm not the only one. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again. And I want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, would you do us a huge favor and like and review our podcast? We would love for more people to be exposed to these kind of recordings and interviews and content so that they can benefit as well. And if you're wanting to know more about what CSN is all about, visit us at christianstewardshipnetwork.com where you can find blogs, resources, and uh, some content, some training content to help you to talk about this topic of stewardship and generosity. And if you're a pastor, this is something that you could really benefit from personally, but also you're in a position where you can teach others how to be good stewards, how to be generous in the kingdom of God. So we encourage you to come visit us and let us help you in any way that we can to build the stewardship ministry in your own church. Well, again, thank you for joining us for this podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time on Stewardship of Leader.